Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Wade and I, Mike, are here in the studio continuing our Winging It series on the life of Martin Luther. We are, I believe, in episode 33 and we're at about 1520, 1525 in there. And today we're going to take a look at a very important figure um, in her own right, and that would be uh, Catherine von Bora, who many of you know eventually is going to be married to Martin Luther. But she's a fascinating story from a lot of different uh, viewpoints. Um, I kind of think of her, uh, you know, she's got this, she is she is sort of from a noble family, but not a, not a rich family. Um, she has this childhood, not trauma, but uh, uh, she has to go to a convent. I mean, this is like, you couldn't, like if somebody would write her story, you'd be like, that's really, really made up. That's fiction, like over, almost over the and, top. I mean, she's admitted to the, the Brainerd Cloister at five or six five years old. Five or six old, years yeah. old. And she eventually escapes. Uh, and she she lives kind of uh, these this two, life where, two lives where she is always kind of on the verge of poverty. Um, you know, when Luther dies, um, when she comes out of the, the convent, um, there, there are times when she is, she, she doesn't know what her future is going to be. And yet she rubs shoulders with some very, very famous people. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, there's always this, she kind served of, a, yeah. her, her kit, her dining room, um, hosted, uh, some of the greatest minds of Europe yeah. and, and even, she sat and talked with them, which was very controversial to some of them. Yeah. And even before that, that, uh, before she married Luther, um, she had met, the the king of uh, Sweden, I believe, and and was friends, or friends would be too much, but was in contact with the Kronachs. Um, and so she, she's just got a, just a really interesting story in her own right. And so we hope that you'll enjoy the next half hour or 40 minutes as we discuss uh, Catherine von Bora, born in, we think, 1499. We're not quite sure. We don't have a whole lot of information. I don't even know if we're absolutely positively sure about her parents' names. I kind of, in the biography I read, there was a little bit of, we're not quite sure. We, we do think we know, we do know that she has an aunt um, uh, that, that gets played out later in her life. Well, her aunt is there. likely the abbess of the, of the, the convent. convent yeah. so, but even her birth year, I believe we have largely through Erasmus, who writes a work <clears throat> criticizing Luther, um, and he's using Katie as part of that. So a lot of the details of her life, we have to be really careful because they come from opponents trying to sketch it. And um, one of the unfortunate things for Katie and Mary and the Reformer was uh, she became a means of people trying to slander him. So mm -hmm. she's called of all, all sort of... Un she slandered to slander him. So even things like her birth year, um, we have to take with a grain of salt. And... and Part of the reason why maybe they got married a little bit sooner than they did was because of rumors that had been spread. Um, yeah, there's, yeah, there's always going to yeah. be rumors that are found. So in our preparation, I read uh, um, The Mother of the Reformation, The Amazing Life and Story of Catherine Luther Ernst Croker, I think, which is translated by an acquaintance of mine. I don't know if you know Mark uh, DeGarmo of Bethany Lutheran huh, College. Yeah. Uh, so this is, a, I believe, it was originally written in uh, 1906. And you read some other articles. Uh, I read uh, articles. The, the main one I looked at was um, from Luther Quarterly, um, Katarina von Bora, The Women at Luther's Side by Martin Troy, I believe, um, or True. I believe he's, um, he's quoted a National Geographic article as well. So I believe he... Um, is in Wittenberg as part of the Luther Studies thing that they have at the Black Cloister. And then uh, 
Katarina von Bora, um, Through Five Centuries, a historiography by Jeanette Smith of New Mexico State University, which was kind of interesting to see how people have, just like Luther, has had different interpretations of Luther through the mm-hmm. centuries. So also there have been of, um, uh, of, uh, of Katie as well. And, and so you have more modern ones. I have one from that's at least 100 years old. Yeah. And one more book before I, we've, Katie Luther, First Lady of the Reformation, The Unconventional Life of, of Katerina von Bora is another one that I have seen quoted. I have not read it myself, but we will link that in the show notes. So. And, uh, and one thing, just to go back to something I mentioned with Erasmus and others, um, Martin True kind of begins his journal article biography of Katie by saying, no real long substantive biography can ever be written of Katie because there's just not the yep. source material. Yep. And so... Um, you know, you're not going to have, like you have of Luther, a 500-page bi- biography of, of Katie. Um, and so we have to understand a lot of what we know about her is from Luther's letters to her. We don't have many of her letters um, or what others say about her. Um, there's just not a lot otherwise, and so we'll, we'll keep that in mind. If I can just give a brief sketch of her early life, Mike, if sure. that's all right. She's born, we think then, um, 1499. Uh, January 29th in Lippendorf. Um, in 1505, so at the age of five or six, she's admitted into the Brainer Cloister. 1509, so around 10 years of age, she's admitted into the um, Marian Throne Cloister in Nimschen near Grimma, I believe near Leipzig. Um, 1514 is the beginning of her novitiate, so about 15 years of age. Uh, 1515, October 8th, she's consecrated as a nun. And then 1523, so about 23 or 24 years old, on April 6th or 7th, is her flight from the Nimshin cloister um, with 11 other nuns. Um, and aiding her in that or helping her in that is Leonard Köppe, um, who is from Torgau. And nine of the nuns, um, some of the others end up with other families, but nine of the nuns will continue from Torgau to Wittenberg. Mm-hmm. From there... Um, One we'll of them to, very famous, Stalpitz's sister. Yes, Stalpitz's yeah. uh, sister. Um, and then, uh, 1525, June 13th is famously her marriage to Martin Luther in the black cloister. So that gives a a brief outline of her early life. Um, Mike, you hit on a little bit, but, um, maybe if you want to expand uh, a little, um, why is a five-year-old being put into a cloister, into a convent? Um, and it's not unusual at the time, maybe a little, you mentioned her, her, she comes from nobility, how does that factor into a lot of um, young people ending up in convents or monasteries? We don't know much about her parents, but it seems pretty clear that his, uh, her father remarried, so her mother passed away, we think. Um, why would a uh, well-to-do, or at least um, socially well-to-do, if we can say yeah, it that even way, if lesser nobility, yeah, social. Um, allow their daughter to be put away at a very early age? Um there's probably going to be some recruiting <laughs> by the abbots, and there was her aunt was uh, at least in that um, convent, if not the the head of the convent later on. Maybe I don't know if you have details about that. I think she's at the the Marian throne. The Marian throne and uh, in Nimshin, right? Yeah. And <clears throat> there may have been a certain amount of not necessarily poverty, like these are peasants, but they are unable to secure maybe an education or a good life for the daughter. Um, uh, And so a daughter can be in a class, a clergy class, be taken care of, have a full life, 
uh, although we wouldn't call it a full life uh, because of celibacy, but get an education, have structure. Um, you know, as a father of daughters, this is going to sound terrible, but you kind of just want them to be safe and happy. And you, you and I probably aren't saying, oh, I wish our daughters get married to a noble rich man. We would be concerned with their faith. We can be concerned with uh, their safety and that someone treats them well. So you can guarantee that you can guarantee two or three of those things. Right. And so it would not have been odd for a young maiden very early on, although Kevin uh, Bora is, is very early on, uh, put into the care um, of a convent. Yeah, so her her father then, Hans von Bora, um, is what we might call lesser nobility. Um, he had estates at Lippendorf and Sala. Um, he's related to more wealthy um, members of the von Bora family. Um, they had once been, we think, the Margraves of the Meissen area, um, but her immediate family was not wealthy. Her mother, as you mentioned, um, dies. Uh, so Katharina von Haubitz um, dies when Katie is five years old, and that's when she is put in the monastery. And then the father will um, remarry to Margaret von Enda from the end or from the back. I don't know. Um, but uh, so it's I, I looked it up, Mike, and it's her, her aunt is the abbess and Marian throne. Um and uh, that would be um, Margaret von Halbitz. And so, but at five years old, and as you mentioned, this is common among the nobility. Um, depending on what the inheritance laws were in a place, you had whoever was getting the inheritance is obviously not going into a monastery. But the other children, this was viewed as a route that they could have a somewhat full life. They could get a good education. She's going to enter a monastery. Those of us in the 21st century and those of us who are Lutherans, are going to look at that and say, how can someone of that age <clears throat> be committed to a celibate life already? <clears throat> and um, the answer would be, well, she doesn't actually enter the novitiate and become an official nun until 1515. But even then, at 16 years of age, I think most of us today would say, when I was 16, there was no way I could I could take a, a vow of cel- celibacy, which would impact the... Mm-hmm. The rest of my and life. And this is a big thing for Luther because he does struggle with when monks and nuns are going to leave uh, leave these uh, cloisters. You know, you know, is this right? And he's got to wrestle with that because you made a vow to God, and that's right. serious. And it's a capital crime. Yeah, there's there's legal things to do. There's also just practical things where you're gonna where are you gonna put all these people. Um, but he comes to the conclusion, I think, eventually uh, with Melanchthon's help, if I if I'm yes recalling that that. Uh, you know, these are not legit vows. These are forced promises. Right. This is a law thing. This is not, you know, you would not say to a young, you would not hold a lifelong promise made by a six-year-old. Right. right. I mean, someone before sexual um, maturity is right. not really in a position to, right. to vow self. And, and, and there there's pressures there, of course. Now, you know, a, a grown man who says, I've thought about this with the council. Okay. You know, I still think you should be making promises to God. It should be the other way around. But if you're going to go that route, then for Luther, it's like, well, then you got to hold that. Hold that. That would be wrong to break that promise. Um, so that is a big deal. Um, you know, another thing about these these nine nuns that that escape, um, they write their families, seeking advice, permission, and it seems like they get a negative response. Right. Um, 
you made a promise. This is what it is. We don't have room for well, you. <laughs> it's also a hit to the family, yeah, economically, if they return, it's a hit. But once again, capital crime. And, means and it's going to be death penalty. Yep, you're going to be a refugee. We can't harbor you. All of these kinds of things. So we it have. Bismarck's the family's honor. Yep. Um, one thing I think people don't understand is uh, Katie and these other nuns who have their lives will be um, called the. Uh, what? I don't even want to use some of the words that they would be called. Think of words that you would use for. Not that. Hopefully, hopefully that you wouldn't use, mm-hmm. but words that are used um, for promiscuous women. Mm-hmm. Because even though you might say, well, she wasn't promiscuous, she got married. She had been a nun, mm-hmm. and any um, activity she's going to have uh, after being a nun is going to be viewed almost as worse than if she had worked in a brothel, right? Um, culturally at the time. Yeah. Um, it's definitely worse than you could have a priest who would have a concubine, mm-hmm. and that was socially acceptable because it had become a norm in many places. Um, this was this was not, and... Uh, and so there's going to be um, a, a social stigma um, that will be attached to this as well. Yeah, and, and, and we're not talking, this is not, this is not you know, Plymouth Rock uh, with Puritans. It's going to Wittenberg where, yes, there is, it's a pious place. At the same time, it's a college town in this era where it is just kind of understood that a lot of this stuff goes on. And so if you see a lady walking down the street unattached, who is not a nun, you know, right? Although she is, she's going to be famous is maybe not the right word, but she's going to be well known enough that people are, are going to know. But they're going to talk, right? They're going to talk, and so uh, she she definitely is. She is a person. I think when she leaves, when she leaves the um, uh, the convent, that people are looking at her. People know who she is at least on a certain level. And I got to imagine that she, eyes are on me. Right. Uh, Potential suitors. I mean, Luther's trying to, she's famous enough in these circles that Luther is trying to find a husband for her. Right. right? Um, And she, to give a sense for um, her independence, which um, people will complain to Luther. His own friends will complain to her about how independent and opinionated she could be. She refuses some suitors. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not like she just says, okay, I understand the only way economically I'm going to be cared for is if I get married, um, you know, find me a husband. There's going to be one she says no to, and then there's going to be one that she falls for. Right, and she gets burned. And we'll get there in a little bit. I want to talk about her escape. So Easter, 1523, so Easter Eve into the morning, uh, under the cover of darkness, it, it, it seems. It's um, usually the best way to escape is darkness. Under the cover of darkness, yeah. clandestinely. Um so what do you think about the herring barrels? Probably not in the barrels that these nuns escaped, but on the cart that would have carried barrels. Probably not smelling good either way. Yeah. So, you know what? Under the Cover of Darkness would be a great band name. Yeah, we should start one. Like punk? Punk rock? I'd go, I'd go mid-90s English punk. I think that would yeah. be where we'd be. Anyway. And like on our drums, we could have a, a Katie's face. We could say the under the cover. Do you play any instrument though? No, I don't play any instrument either. We'd have to both be lead singers, (laughs) but I I can't even read music. I can't sing either. So, another another good band name would be the the Herring Barrels. But But that'd be like a polka band. That'd be a polka band. Yes, so that would be definitely. So if we have to go that route, anyway. Um, So 
first they stopped in Torgau, but eventually they get to Wittenberg escaped. I mean, this is kind of a exciting thing, whether, you know, there's all sorts of stories that I'm sure, you know, like fish stories, they grew, they grew bigger and bigger. Um, but it is, it is an escape. It is illegal. It is under the cover of darkness. Um, this is an exciting time. And Luther knows about this, even though he's not a part of it. Um, and he doesn't take credit for it, but he does stand up for those who did it because they could have been punished, right? And so it's kind of one and, of those... And Luther had, just briefly, he had preached um, uh, in Grimma in 1519 at the town near Nimshin. Um, so this is territory where evangelical ideas are spreading. Yes, and these And then he are... had written one big treatise about um, uh, whether monks and nuns could leave and the vow of celibacy preceding this as well so they're in an they're in the orbit Mm -hmm. in which evangelical ideas are being shared and these nuns are because they are convinced by the theology it's not like they're saying oh this is our necessarily this is our chance to get out of this although and and keep in mind too as nuns they're literate so they're able to read the materials that are being spread so she uh then ends up in master reichenbach's house i believe i got that right where she is kind of taken in. Uh, she is not able to go back to her family. Um, she also seems to be friendly with the Cronachs and maybe even served uh, there. And so she is literally like right by the, um, the castle church. Um, she is a part of the upper crust, even though she is, she's not a servant. She's not a daughter. She's a house guest There's that no helps out. To put her, yeah. right? She's So she is, talking to people but she's probably also the one that helps cooks cleans when uh guests are over she's going to do that we have one at least my biographer talked about um king christian the second coming and visiting the chronics on business and he gave her a gold ring kind of like that there was a connection there Uh, erasmus knows who she is right uh although you know what luther called this group of nuns that escaped the wretched crowd. <laughs> <laughs> wretched crowd. But the person who, who led the escape, he was the blessed robber. And then Luther writes a letter, um, or a uh, an open letter praising him um, on the reason why nuns may leave cloisters with God's blessings and dedicates it to, to Kappa, which which he did not appreciate because he technically is an outlaw for having right. helped with this. Right. Um, in my book, again, The Mother of the Reformation, there is a nice little part of the chapter where these nine, her com- uh, compadres, they each get a paragraph of what happened to them, which is kind of interesting. Nice. So you and and I bring that up right now because you you have more than this, these nine, but you you have what, what are you going to do with them? It's not like they can just get an apartment, right? So are they going to go back to their families? Are they going to find husbands? Um, there are going to be people that are going to house them. But the goal eventually is that they're going to get into society. Right. And that is going to largely mean getting married. And they're all right? going to get married before um, Katie, who ends up working as a domestic servant for yeah. Chronic and kind of waiting for a perfect marriage. Right. And so we should talk about her first love lost then. Um, Baumgartner, I think. Hieronymus, right? Baumgartner. Nuremberg man. It sounds like, and at least my biographer has said, good dude all the way around. In fact, Luther knew him even after Katie and Luther were married. They knew each other. They spoke well of each other. And he seemed to probably sincerely like Katie. And so it doesn't seem that they were engaged, but his time in Wittenberg, there was a romance 
that they seem to be, at least in Katie's mind, that this was eventually going to lead to a they marriage. They watched, like, office reruns on Netflix together. They went on dates and stuff like that, went to the sock ops and stuff like that. It was all clean, good fun. Right. He goes back to Nuremberg, and it seems that he kind of leaves her hanging, and maybe the reason for that is that his family's high enough that says she's noble, but she's a runaway nun. This is not right. good. She's she's not bringing social capital to right. the family. So this is the Luther, um, uh, Romeo and Juliet that does not end bad, but ends good. So it seems that she is hurt for a while, but then eventually she is able to get over it. And it seems Luther even kind of not makes fun of her for it, but can bring him up later in their marriage and she doesn't fall apart. She's right. a strong woman. This was an early love. It didn't work out. Um, she is then, uh, as you said, can be quite picky and is an independent, which we're going to see later in their marriage, which is very good for Luther, I think. Casper Glatz? Glatz? Yeah, she's going to say no to him. Yeah, and it turns out that she probably had a pretty good eye for his character. And so she liked uh, uh, Baumgartner, um, but didn't work out. Um Glatz was like, you know what? Second choice is okay. He's a doctor. He's a pastor. But it turns out he's not s such a great catch. And so she sees that early on and says, no thanks. Right. So then they actually set up um, a Wittenberg dating game. <laughs> and uh, there were three contestants. Yes. And the contestants were? <laughs> um, Luther actually, I believe, wanted her to marry Amsdorf. Yep. And Amsdorf... Um, who is a person of particular interest to me because of his Magdeburg years, um, remains single all of his life, which is why he gets um, kind of forced into being Bishop of Naumburg for a while because um, they want a Lutheran bishop and the people want a single guy. And so Luther says, okay, Amsdorf, you're doing it. Um, and Amsdorf was like, ah, okay, I guess I will. Um, but Luther slowly, too, is coming around to the fact um that maybe marriage is an option for him uh, theologically, right? He's calling other people um, or at least telling them it's permitted to marry. Um, Luther never thinks he's going to live long, so he's hesitant about marriage from that perspective. Um, but uh, here is where a lot of slander about Luther and Katie comes in. There is zero indication that there's a romantic relationship between the two before they're married. Mm -hmm. Um, his opponents will spread rumors they married because she was pregnant. That's absolutely not true. Uh, there's a, This was a an arranged marriage of Katie needs someone to marry. She says, okay, I'll marry Luther, right? Um, which is a, a, a brave thing on her part, but also understandable as far as it's a brilliant dude. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, probably still a bit of a looker. Um, <laughs> she hasn't fattened him up yet. And... Uh, um, and so they'll agree to be married, but this is uh, this is an arranged marriage. This is not. Uh, it was at that time very common to try to discredit opponents with sexual sin. Um, and for all we've mentioned this before, for all of Luther's faults, he did not fall into this there's particular no vice. Credible evidence ever of um, it's not any his promiscuity. Vice. Yeah, and in this um. So this, uh, yeah, I think that's very important to reiterate. If there had been credible evidence, it would have been used against him. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they will decide to marry. Uh, but there's a, a good article I found um, from National Geographic as well. Um, 
uh, Martin Luther, uh, I'll, I'll get the title after because I'm going to scroll up and lose my place. Uh, but they are married, and uh, the line in here has, uh, predictably, Luther's enemies seized on Katarina as a weak point, hoping that by discrediting her, they could undermine Luther's credibility as a man of God. She was called an alcoholic, money-grubbing, and a slut. Anti-Reformation pamphleteers accused her of having children with Luther out of wedlock, and worse, just the fact that she was a former nun was scandal enough. And so she's immediately going to become uh, a lightning rod and be useful to Luther's enemies, um, not because they have truthful um, accusations to make, but because of slander. And keep in mind, um, and, and I'm not trying to take a, a stance on um, you know, 20th century relations between men and women and, and stigmas, but I think it's pretty fair to say, Mike, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Throughout much of human history, um, women were pretty uh, liable, susceptible to mm-hmm. outrageous slander. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, one of the most common ways to a- attack a woman character, a woman's character, was uh, through sexual accusations. And, and so, there's a double standard too, if there actually is. Yes. Right. And so it was. It was. It was almost easier to attack Katie on these things than Luther. Um, and so people do. So they are going to get married in 1525 on June 13th, perhaps a little bit quicker than and than they intended. Let's just get rid of these rumors kinds of things. <laughs> Our, my biographer pointed out something that I never thought about. So we know it's a very small wedding in the Black Cloister. Um, they got a nice unity candle. Yes. There's, they actually did the sand, the pouring of oh, the sand, the, the, the two sand. families coming together. Um, there are small chronic saying endless love <laughs> at the reception. There was a couple. There was a few uh, people were invited, and I, I never thought about it this way. But um, you have Johann Oppel, who was from the university, representative of the university. You have Justus Jonas, who was the friend, representative of the friends. You had Bugenhagen, who was at this time the pastor, so representative of the church. And the one, it didn't have to be a pastor, but he was the one who before the marriage. And then you had uh, Lucas and Barb. Can we call her Barb Chronic? Barbara Chronic. Sure. Um, representing kind of the town. And I just wonder and if. Who's not there, Mike? Melanchthon's not there. Why is he not there? Uh, it seems that Mrs. Melanchthon, is this true, or not, we're not there? Mrs. Quite Melanchthon there yet. and Katie don't get along. But that's later. But Melanchthon had also been a little bit critical Cr- of Luther getting yeah. married. Yeah. And then you can understand this why. is one of the the most one of the only times we have Luther explicitly complaining about Luther. Melanchthon complaining about Luther, but he does it in a letter to a friend, and he does it in Greek, <laughs> so it can't come, fall into a bunch of other hands, and people know what it means. But Melanchthon is apparently hurt by not being invited. Yeah. But then Luther probably would have been like, "Well, then you shouldn't have criticized it." Yeah. You know? Of course, there is the um, the the German. Um, tradition of making sure that. <laughs> The wedding is consummated. Yeah, I don't. Maybe that maybe, was Jonas had to do that, right? right? Maybe Luther's like, you know what, Phil, this is not your thing, buddy. Well, and the thing is too, like even with that, people I think sometimes take that too far of thinking um, it's like voyeurism. Yeah, that wasn't the case. No. Like it's just a um, because at that time the the what the marriage was considered official when it was consummated. This is still in Roman Catholic theology still today. By the way, this is why Henry VIII can marry his get a dispensation to marry his brother's wife mm-hmm. is because Catherine of Aragon will say that she never consummated the relationship mm-hmm. with her husband before he died right away. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's... You have to have a witness, which is weird to us, and I'm thankful that we don't do that anymore. You know what? If we still did that, Mike, 
I, would you have, would you nope. have had me? Nope. Nope. No? No, nope, I would not. Nope. Why not? <laughs> no, I'm just not. I'm not going to play a part of that. I would, I would. This Do you think, I bet it would be like someone's best, the best man. It would be the best man. Who was your best man? Uh, Aaron Bain. Was it? Yep. Mine was uh, Josh Roth. Hi, yeah. Josh, if you're listening. Out I was it. never the best man of anybody. <laughs> and so um, we're just going to keep it at that. So, do you want me and Trisha to get remarried? We'll do nope. like a second marriage, nope. and we, you can be my best man. We need to move on to the marriage of. Luther what do you call that? Renewing the vows. Renewing the vows. Do you have to get like a whole other wedding party when you renew the vows? Otherwise, you have to bring back the old crew, like a reunion. <laughs> I think we should do a let the bird fly, renewing of the vows, and we all renew our <laughs> vows with we, Pastor Bordelin can oversee it. I don't I, know that I, Trisha would do it. That's what scares no, me. No, I don't think so. Like if she had a second chance, there's no way. Right. All right. Let's talk about Katie and Luther in their married life. I've always found that she is, for the time, for any time, really, an intellectual equal of his as much as anybody can be to, to Martin Luther. And, I, I and found he's this, challenging her intellectually. I mean, yeah. he he's, wants her reading the Bible, you know, all of the scriptures. Um, he seems to enjoy her giving her opinions and jumping in with stuff. So, and, yeah. And she, he, and he, she doesn't back down. And... and I thought about this maybe halfway through my pastorate that of 12 years when there was marriage problems, one of the indications, not always, this is the reason and nor can it be overcome, but there would be some marriages that weren't great is when that one person had an intellectual superiority over the other. And there was a unhealthy kind of power structure that was there. And I just, even if it was a strong personality versus weak personality kind of thing. And Not I, always intellectually, like one's better trained, but just. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe just flat out intellectually, like you could have the, the dumb, dumb guy. And after he's no longer the high school football quarterback, the cheerleaders right. like, I moved on with my life intellectually and personally, and you haven't, and this kind of stinks. It could go the other way around, right. of course, as well. And so, uh, when I look at uh, Katie and Luther, I, I do think that there is there's something to a vibrant back and forth. I can I can play ball, and 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 Katie can and does, and so that independent streak that maybe was like uh, Luther was not maybe attracted to at the first point probably was one of her greatest attributes right. and I think he knows it and his friends picked up on this and um, because it was unconventional for the time they would poke fun so they would refer to his Dr. Risa um, in some of their letters um, you know like like she's the female Dr. Luther mm-hmm. um, and that was a way of uh, kind of behind Luther's back amongst themselves uh, kind of saying like you know Katie's got all these opinions and keep in mind like the table talks right These mm-hmm. there's a ton of people at Luther's table Katie would interject. Mm-hmm. Katie is a part of the conversation. Um, and even um, some friends who would tease him saying some of his ideas were actually Katie's. Mm-hmm. So it must have been um, established among his circle of friends that that if you were hanging out at the Black Cloister, you were hanging out with Luther, um, you were talking to Katie too. Mm-hmm. It wasn't um, just like uh, the boys are going to go off and mm-hmm. sit by themselves and have a cigar and a, a brandy and have guy talk, um, you know, Katie was, was part of the, of the, and, um, also I think we should point out Mike, very 
economically involved for a woman of her time as well. Thankfully for Luther. Yeah, she is running um, all sorts of... Th- I mean, the She's Black Cloister the, well, is pretty much a hostel. She's running farms, fish ponds, other business interests. Um, the only reason they are financially viable as a couple is Katie. Um, you know, Luther was, was not good with personal finances. Mm-hmm. Not that he, you know, was behind a PlayStation 4 and mm-hmm. Xbox and... But he, he would give away mm-hmm. a lot. She would literally have to hide stuff from him mm-hmm. so he wouldn't give mm-hmm. it away. And and he does kind of know that too, doesn't he? Call her Lord right. or Doctor or something like that. Yeah, you know? and she and, like he likes to call her uh, his Moses. Yeah. <laughs> but then he was he could also be very tender. I mean, at one point he talks about like her pigtails lying on the on the on his pillow or the pillow. I mean, he he could be very tender as well as much as a bore of a guy that he could be. In that time period, could be very, you know, kitty my rib. Right. Right. I mean, he, he is that. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, I've not found this. I don't know. You probably know where it is, where the story about, you know, him, who he could have a bout of melancholy. Um, and she dresses in black. Do you remember that yeah, story? Yeah, yeah. You could probably tell it better than me. I don't know if I have all the details right. But well, I can't I have, remember. I have my own version. I can't remember exactly what she says she was born in. I believe maybe it was something like that Christ has not risen or yeah, something like yeah. that. Um, but she's trying to drive home the point of like, you have plenty to live for. Yeah. And, and in a tender way, but also in a kind of awesome, sarcastic way, like uh-huh. get off the couch, dude. She also uh, was apparently a very good beer brewer. He complains yeah. a lot of the places he goes about the local brew and says that Katie's is better. Yeah, this is re- this reminds me of being out in the rural as a as a pastor in the rural areas where uh, this idea of these farm wives who are just beaten down and and of course there were some jerks out there, but th- that they weren't allowed to drive or whatever. The truth of the matter is these farm wives could do ninety percent um, of anything a man can do physically, and then one hundred percent of anything economically or whatever. Yeah, and some idiot in the suburbs who thinks he's a man is going to get his butt whooped at any number of things by right. these these women. And I I appreciate Katie's running a business. She's doing farm work. She is intellectual. She has wit. She uh, can stand up to Luther. She can also carry herself uh, in in circles that are are noble, literally <laughs> noble. Right? We we see connections with. Uh, uh, we already talked about uh, Christian II, but then later, uh, you know, she has uh, dealings with the King of Denmark when she's she ends up being kind of a refugee multiple times, um, which we'll talk about at the end of her life here. Um, she's she's can do politics. She can do the court. She can do academics. She can do uh, regular day life. She can do a lot. And. Uh, um. I think as well, uh, well, we'll get to Luther's death maybe in, in just a moment that we can mm-hmm. jump back there. But I do, um, an interesting thing with that is, you know, a lot of times you'll hear people talk about a, a Proverbs 31 woman. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes they'll talk about the Proverbs 31 woman and they'll like idealize the Victorian values that mm-hmm. um, are still somewhat embedded in the West. But you look at the Proverbs 31 woman and she's like very economically mm-hmm. <laughs> active. Mm-hmm. Um Katie was a Proverbs 31 mm-hmm. um, woman in that sense. Um, the uh, Just to give a sense, too, of, of, of the amount of, of work she's doing, her household brewery produced 8,800 pints of ale each year. How much did Luther drink on that? 
I don't know, but isn't that a crazy amount? Yeah. Um, large farm, multiple gardens, fish ponds, fruit orchards. Um, they own more cows and pigs eventually than anyone else in Wittenberg. This is not a hobby farm either. This is like a legitimate business. Yeah. So um, so she's very, very busy with those things. Um, but being married to Luther will bring her um, sadness as well. She will outlive Luther. Um and after Luther's death, now we're getting into the period. Um, we joked about expertise when we just had an episode on death of expertise, um, where I would consider myself expert, which is Luther's death, um, up till about 1552. Um, which is when Katie dies. Right. And Luther, it's not just that she's lost Luther. Um, the Catholic forces <coughs> are reconquering Lutheran Germany. Um the Lutheran territories in Germany, that is, um, which means economically everything is up in the air. What's going to happen to her? She was married to this arch heretic that they, um, whose teachings they're warring against. Um, there will be Melanchthon and others who are faithful friends who are trying to look after her, but um, it seems she herself is going to have this period of great sadness. Um, she's going to end up in 1552, having to uh, flee from the plague in Wittenberg. I she, believe she's thrown from a wagon. She flees twice from Wittenberg right in, after his death because the... She has to flee to Magdeburg and Braunschweig Magdeburg. in 1547 yep. Yep. because yep. of the, the interim wars. Yep. Um, but I believe she's thrown from a carriage when yep. she dies, right? So she will die in 1552. Um, those years from 1546 to 1552 are just tumultuous, sad... Um, her children are moving away. She's trying. Some of them are moving away. She's trying right. to. One is going to become an alcoholic yep. eventually. So we know later um, from records of the town that um, when he inherits the black cloister, um, it's in disrepair, and he seems to kind of be a lout. Um, but she's trying to keep a ton in order um, after Luther's death, and so she will bear a cross for having yeah. married him. And she has to rely on gifts from other people. She is a political refugee, where she and a pariah. And so she needs to go to a different land on multiple occasions, and she needs to call up her contacts to say, "I need money." You know, my 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 livelihood is gone. Which, like, as a proud woman who has been running all these things to provide for her family herself all this time, she loses all of her income. Um, she loses her ability for income because of the you know she has to flee Wittenberg. Who's going to take care of all of this stuff, right? And and people are helping her out, but it's not easy. I mean, you have, and a lot of them are not in positions to help her out yeah. much because they also um, their lives are at risk yeah. in these years. So there's a uh, stories about money coming from uh, Denmark, but it gets held up because of these wars. Yep. Eventually, cut you know all this kind of stuff, um, and. You know, the, just the the stress of, of like we said, a, children who are learning how to be adults. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, and she's writing letters for her sons and stuff like that. And and other people are writing, asking her for favors that she's in no position to give anymore. Right. right. So I always imagined her as a political refugee of a, <laughs> you know, a very important official at you know in whatever country that is. That is war-torn right now. We should mention, but we didn't do this. We should have done this earlier, but uh, the Black Cloister would have been the Augustinian house where Luther lived in and had been gifted 
by the Elector Saxony to the family. And it's full of people living there um, with students and others once the time comes. So you can imagine it's not like this is not a Tudor house that they they went and picked out. She's running a hostel. I mean, it's a, a, would have been a dormitory kind of thing where they're living in now. And so um, she's embedded in the Reformation, um, physically, literally, intellectually, spiritually. Um, They did not go get a house with a nice picket fence. They right. were in the place where this was taking taking place. This was they were living in the church, you know, so you can think of a of a parsonage sort of yeah. situation. And I think so, this is partly why she's unpopular among some of the Wittenberg wives. Um is she just is at the heart of Wittenberg life in a way that the others aren't and she is uh, because of Luther um who he is but also what he allows her to do, she's able to assert herself and act in ways that the other wives are not able to. And, and, and so that it appears that some of them uh, resented that. And you can imagine, I think, like Luther's, I, I don't know this for sure, but that she didn't have time to suffer fools, right? Uh, very, it definitely appears yeah, that way, yeah. yeah. So she's she's maybe not, she doesn't have time for those kinds of uh, fake niceties that sometimes are necessary in the world. Right. And Luther isn't for sure. Right. So, uh, any last words on uh, Katie von Bora? No, I would just I would emphasize again. There's there's not a lot of source stuff out there other than Luther's uh, letters, some official records and references from um, Luther's friends or opponents. But I think um, an important woman in a number of ways. I think one of the most important ways, as we just summarized, would be um, Luther before this writes about women, and he's largely writing about women as an abstraction outside of his mother. And others in his family, but it's important to remember Luther goes off to school, um, what we might consider elementary school, and from his schooling through the monastery, he lives with men, right? Those of you who would have went to MLC, his life is Concord dorm, right? And uh, Katie, you notice there's a noticeable change in Luther's theology, and I think the catechisms are so much better because of that, um, that now... Um, the family life of the majority of the, the European population at that time is now something that Luther doesn't have to theorize about. Mm-hmm. It's something that he's living, and I think it um, his practical theology or applied theology becomes that much the better for it. Absolutely, and so uh, we owe a lot um, as heirs of the Reformation to Kate Luther, perhaps more than we'll ever know. Um, and so we recommend... Digging a little bit deeper. I know that when I have the Luther class and I say, pick a topic, we have quite a few people that pick uh, pick uh, uh, Catherine von Bohr as a topic, and it's a worthwhile one. So um, we'll be back to continue our L- Winging It series on the life and thought of Martin Luther. Um, we're plugging along. We're at 1525-ish. Um, we're going to keep uh, going along at this slow rate. We hope that you've enjoyed it, and we'll come back. And if you haven't already looked looked at the the previous 30 or so episodes. Uh, You certainly don't have to start at the beginning and go all the way through, but uh, we try to title them so that you can, um, maybe if you have an interest in a certain person, a certain event, or a certain um, writing of Luther, you can just jump in wherever you want. Until next time, let the bird fly. Goes down, get up my party and I begin to cry. 
I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk. I'm just a tanker. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. One more round won't get me down.